Uh, well, one of the things that uh, Brian failed to mention about yesterday is that um, Rock Valley Bible Church was the, uh, the top fundraising church at the uh, Pregnancy Care Center, whatever, um, Hike for Life. Um, and so, in fact, that we received a, uh, a little plaque because of that. And so, just thankful for uh, Amanda. Are you here? Where is Amanda? There, she just went out. Oh, yeah, there you, there you are, Amanda. So, just thank you for all your work you've done on this and to guide us and lead us to church to rally our troops for that. Um, yeah, I was told by a, a pastor who I've known, but I didn't know his story. Um, he spoke at Hallstrom this past week, and he was, a, um, he was a baby that was due to be aborted. And his story is just really powerful. Um, it's Heath Tibbetts. He just pastors um, McChesney Park, First Baptist Church, just right up the road here. I know him. Um, but his mom was a teenager, pregnant, and uh, abortion-minded, and went in to have an abortion, and they're full. Come back tomorrow. So she then went to school and talked to a Christian school counselor who encouraged her and just said, well, there's another way. And uh, then she decided not to abort uh, Heath. Uh, but what happened was that she was shunned by her mom and had to go and live six months in, a, I mean, this was 50 years ago, in a, I'm not sure, halfway house or not even sure what it is, but some kind of place away. Finally, in the last couple of weeks of pregnancy, mom took her back and uh, had Heath, and he stands here today uh, just because of a kind counselor really pushing uh, to consider not aborting. And he said that just as a few years ago, or a few months ago, I'm not sure, that he got to meet that Christian counselor who, um, who shared with mom uh, about maybe you might want to think about changing your mind. And I know the, the Pregnancy Care Center just does a lot of that, just tries that, labors on in that. And uh, you never know the sort of lives are going to change. I think in this life, we may not know. Uh, just really even thinking about that, about how many of your lives you have, that you have impacted, you've spoken something of the gospel, that you'll never know of the kind of help that you were. And maybe on, in this life, you'll never know. Uh, in fact, I remember my story of that comes when I was um, uh, about five years, I think, out of college. And uh, I came back to one of college reunions and met with a guy, and he said, Steve Brandon, uh, I've been meaning to talk to you. Do you remember that conversation we had when we were juniors? We were outside the Sigma Nu fraternity house, and we were talking. It was late night at a party sometime. Uh, we're out there in the street, and we we're talking about things. And I'm like, no. And uh, he talked about something he learned in his philosophy class about S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, and and said something about, and my comment to him apparently was something like, uh, and do you believe it? He's like, oh, no, of course not. Of course I don't believe that. And kind of went on. And um, then after we graduated, that conversation stuck in his mind, and he became a Christian. And uh, then he told me about it years later, only because we ran into each other. I haven't seen him since. Um, but there's just kind of something that we got to see in this life. And so that Christian counselor getting to meet Heath, it was just a, a wonderful story and testimony. You never know how um, just your actions in your lives are going to impact people. Just even as you mention things to people, as you encourage them, as you say whatever, there'll be maybe a time when someone will come back to that. Those are great stories. We just pray for the Pregnancy Care Center to, to have those types of stories where lives are changed. And now he's a pastor of a church 
and uh, doing very well. So, so let me just pray for the Pregnancy Care Center and the Hike for Life and the funds. Father, over $50,000 was raised, basically given to um, the Pregnancy Care Center to further their mission, um, really to, to demonstrate to the world that we not only vote pro-life, but we believe pro-life and we give to causes that would be pro-life causes and uh, really it's a demonstration of Christians' love and Father would pray that you might, God by your grace, um, just save children from dying in the womb. God, save them that they might live, that they might grow up to know you and to honor you. Um, God, to serve you in the church, whatever role that is, whether it's a pastor like Heath or whether that's as a, as a, a serving member, being a blessing to everybody around, God, whatever role, God, raise up uh, believers, God, from those difficult circumstances. And so I would pray for um, your sustaining power on those who, who work there, um, for the, the staff and the board. God, guide in, in such a way that we can just be, a, be your hands and feet to seek to save lives which are headed for destruction apart from your grace and your intervention and the gifts that we help to give and the gifts that many gave towards that cause. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, once upon a time, uh, a very long time ago, um, I was in high school. And uh, I remember in my high school having a humanities class. And humanities where we talked about literature. We talked about ancient literature. We talked about modern literature. We talked about everything in between. And, And I remember talking about a poem that I want to share with you today. You may recognize the poem. You may not. It was, it was written by this man. Anyone know who this man is? Here's your test. Huh? Robert Frost. Good. Uh, I would have suspected if anyone to get it in the congregation, it would have been you, Rich, for sure. That is Robert Frost. And um, he wrote a poem called The Road Not Taken. And the poem goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fair and having perhaps the better claim... Because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I shall ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Some were ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's Robert Frost. He wrote that poem to uh, his friend, Edward Thomas, who was an English critic. And, and Robert Frost and Thomas were, were friends, and they would frequently take wa- long walks together in the countryside. And uh, Thomas was always talking with Frost about, like, regretting that they didn't go that way, but they went this way instead. I mean, kind of just just forever it was there. And uh, Frost said his friend seemed always to be, quote, crying over what might have been. 
And so for that reason, he wrote the poem in a way to tease his friend. And he described his walk as a a walk in the woods where he came upon a choice. And there was a choice of of two roads. And um, a lot of people get this wrong. But in his poem, he said essentially the roads look exactly the same. Like like they they looked almost exactly the same. Um, But finally, he chose the one less traveled by. And uh, which, of course, was undiscernible because they said they're practically the same. And then remarking, and that has made all the difference in going on this path that was less traveled. And, um, and the thing that's made this poem so famous and special in American literature is those last few stanzas have kind of taken on a life of their own apart from the poem's context to show the important it is to, to travel the road less traveled that, that few have trod before. Um, and that will make all the difference. And it really uh, appeals to our American individualism with this sense of adventure that we have, this individualism to walk where no man has walked before, like, like Buzz Lightyear, right? To go where no man has gone before. Uh, we want to make a difference in this life. We don't want to go with the crowd. We want to be unique and do great things. And that's why most people think the poem is entitled The Road um, Less Traveled, but it really is The Road Not Taken. Because of that last, that last stanza. And, and Frost Point is really was a joke to his friends. That there are many choices in life. And you just need to make one and carry on. And not regretting what could have been. And there's lots of truth to that. And you need to know that there's lots of things in life that are inconsequential. And you just need to choose a course and go. And you don't have to regret like uh, Frost's friend Thomas did. But make your choice and go on. But there are some times in life where your choice makes all the difference in the world. And um, when it does, you need to take and, and discern clearly what sort of path you want to take. Because to ignore danger can lead to disaster. If you come upon this sign, danger bridge out ahead. Just imagine what would happen if you would continue on ahead. It's not good. Well, that's the sort of choices that we've been studying for the past few months in the book of Proverbs. We've been, been looking at the way of wisdom, the way that listens to the counsel of parents, the way that is suspect of the persuasion of peers, a way that seeks for wisdom, that avoids the path of the evil man and the evil woman, that, that walks in steadfast love and faithfulness, that is the generous way. And then, of course, that's the wise way. And then this foolish way spurns the counsel of parents, refuses to heed to the cry of wisdom, and follows after violent men and walks the wrong path. And such people will face destruction like a bridge that has no end. And the foundation that helps us make sense of all these choices, of course, is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, I've said that's the foundation to everything. Understanding the fear of the Lord, then we make our, our choices in life. As Proverbs 3, verse 33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Which makes it all important for all of you and for me to fear the Lord and to take the right path that we might know the blessing of God in our lives well, my message this morning is entitled, Take the Right Path. Not, not right in the sense of take the right on the right rather than the left, but the, the right path as opposed to the wrong path or the, the correct path rather than the foolish path. 
And it comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. You can open your Bibles there. I always invite you to open your Bibles, bring your Bibles to church, look at them, write in them. It's very helpful. If you didn't bring one, I encourage you to look on the pew in front of you, um, one of the, the chairs in front of you, not the pews, the chairs in front of you, there should be a, uh, a Bible, page 529, you can find it. And, and as I read this, I want for you to listen to the walking words, the path language, the walking and the running, the steps and the stumbling, the path and the ways, because they're all over these verses, here in verses 4 through 19, and that's the motif, that's why I read Frost's Um, poem to you is because this is all about two divergent paths and which path are you going to walk hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many i have taught you in the way of wisdom i have led you in the paths of uprightness and when you walk your step will not be hampered and if you run you will not stumble Keep hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they they stumble. And I trust you can see there are all these walking words. Uh, Verse 11 speaks about the way of wisdom and the paths of uprightness. Verse 12 says, walk and run, step, stumble. Verse 14 speaks about the path of the wicked. Verse 14 speaks about how do not go in the way of evil. Verse 16 speaks about stumbling. Verse 18 mentions the path of the righteous. And verse 19 cites the way of the wicked. And Solomon's point for all this is we need to take the right path. And that's really my heart for all of you is that you take the right path. My my first point is this. Is take the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom. You can see it right there in verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. Before he gets to verse 11 though. Verse, verse 10 is the way that, that Solomon describes this. He says this way of wisdom is the path that leads to life. Verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words. That the years of your life may be many. Now I trust you hear those words. And you said I think I've heard that before. Well. I hope you've heard that before because Solomon has said that before again and again and again. The, the elements of this verse of, of the, the address to the son, the, um, uh, the call to listen and, and the promise of blessing. Here, there's, there's a call. My son, there's address to the son, the promise of blessing. Years of your life will be many. That's really what what Proverbs is about. It says you want to to live the best life. You want to have blessing in this life. You want to see the the favor of the Lord shine upon you. Then walk in my ways. But if you want God's curse upon you, then walk in the evil way. Again, chapter 3, verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. If you want to know the blessing of God in your life, walk in the way of righteousness. Walk in the way of wisdom. And I, I just say you children, right? 
Listen to Proverbs. Listen to your parents. It's the best thing for you. It will lead you into the right way. And all you need to do is have your eyes open. If you've lived long enough, you've seen those, those children who've taken the path of fools. It doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to blessing. It leads to hardship and despair. And I could tell you stories about kids I've seen make bad choices, thinking that they're pursuing happiness and thinking that they're pursuing joy, only to realize that, no, this isn't, this isn't such a happy life. This is, this is really hard. And even sometimes despair to suicide when they take the wrong path. Kids, the way to blessing and the way to your happiness and joy is to know the blessing of God by walking in the way of wisdom. You say, what does that the way of wisdom look like? Well, in verse 11, he speaks about it. He says, I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. This is Hebrew parallelism. The first line is synonymous with the second line. Not all Hebrew parallelism is like that. Sometimes the second line is opposite. Like in chapter 3, verse 33, it's a curse upon the wicked, the blessing upon the righteous. But in this case, it's exactly the same. And therefore, the way of wisdom is the upright path. That is the path that follows the righteous way. The the path that follows the the way of the Lord, that listens to the word of God and follows in obedience. And that's the path that all the Bible encourages us to walk and to take. I mean, from Adam and Eve, not to eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's, That's the path of wisdom is to avoid that tree. The path of wisdom is to enjoy all the other trees and to keep the garden. To Moses, who gave the law to the Israelites, that glorious law to follow. Gives them direction, so much so the other nations would look at that law and say, what, what nation is a God like their God that gives them all these wonderful laws? To the prophets who directed the people in the way of the Lord when they were straying, they're pulling them back. You're on the wrong path. Let's go to the right path. You just come, come back this way. That was repeatedly the prophet's message. To Jesus, who showed us the way to walk in wisdom, the way to walk in love, he modeled that for us. And to Peter and Paul and John, who instructed us in the ways of grace, how it is we ought to respond to the cross of Christ in our lives, how it is that we ought to walk. And it's the the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness, as Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says. And Jesus really summed it up with all these words. You want to know the way of wisdom? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and great commandment, Jesus says. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the way of wisdom, is to, is to worship God, right? Chapter 1, verse 7 is to fear the Lord, to, to follow after Him, and then also to love others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the way of wisdom. This is the path of, of uprightness. Proverbs then speaks about all those different ways about how to walk righteously. But walking along this path, look at verse 12. It leads to your blessing, verse 12. And when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. And the reason for this is because the Lord has made the way smooth. And I just think about smooth roads. You know, one of the greatness of things of our nation, and I'm not sure you realize this or not, is our roads. 
If you go to another nation, if you've been in another nation, you know that our roads are different than many other nations' roads. You guys are just in Rome, huh? Even different than Rome, huh? All right. Um, you, you just need to know how bad those roads are to realize how good ours are. Now, now there are bad roads in the States, and, and roads need repair, but for the most part, our roads are really wonderful, and we can travel with very little difficulty. We can get in a car and travel for hours and hours and hours, going 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, and out in Wyoming, the speed limit is 80 miles an hour, and you can just go and go and go and go and go, and smooth, the road is smooth and level. With some effort, as we have done before, we've gone on vacation, you could travel 1,000 miles in a day. Now, in some countries, the countries aren't even 1,000 miles long, but it, it takes... It takes more than a day to get across it. And this hasn't been by accident. It's taking great effort, pushed mostly by the administration of Dwight Eisenhower and the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956. The United States decided to let's, let's construct our nation with all this network of roads, controlled access highways all across our nation. And our government has spent hundreds of billions of dollars this past decades and decades to provide high-speed travel across all our nation and was officially finished in 1992. I mean, we're talking about 40 years of really pushing towards building this infrastructure that we have of our, of our interstates. Today, the interstate highway system, 48,000 miles of highways. It's the government working to make it smooth. And that's what the Lord does for us. Look at verse 12. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. It's because the Lord has cleared this way. And the Lord has made it smooth. He's paved the way for the path of wisdom. So Solomon says the the right conclusion. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Now, at this point, you see Solomon changing the illustration a little bit. No longer is he talking about walking along a path, but now he's talking about holding on, hugging tight. It might even seem to indicate that we are standing still. Like, like, cause, cause if you're going to hold something, you can't be like walking and holding something. You're just going to stand still. But I, I think we get the idea. You, you put those two things together and he basically says, have this tenacious focus to walk along the way of wisdom, to walk that straight path and not to deviate from it. I'm reminded of Pilgrim, a Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, that great allegory that, that speaks about Christian going from the city of destruction to the celestial city, and, and he encountered goodwill along the way, who directed him in the right way. Listen to what goodwill says. He says this, good Christian, come a little way with me, and I will teach you about the way you must go. Look ahead. Do you see this narrow way? That's the way you must go. It was cast up by the patriarchs, the prophets, Christ and his apostles. It is as straight as a rule can make it. This is the way you must go. But, said Christian, are there no turnings, no windings by which a stranger may lose his way? Goodwill said, yes, there are many. But down upon this, and they are crooked and wide. But thus you may distinguish the right from the wrong, the right only being the straight and narrow. And that's what... Goodwill's counsel to Christian was. And of course, in Jesus, he's talking about being straight and narrow. He's talking about the words of Jesus who instructed us on the two ways to travel. 
Matthew 17, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. For enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and there are those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and few there are that find it. And as you read through the New Testament, obviously see that Jesus is talking about the gospel. He's talking about the good news of, of the fact that he died for our sins. And you enter through the gate by entering into, through his blood, that Jesus has given us access to the Father by this narrow gate. And, and the narrow gate is to trust in Jesus and trust in him alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John fourteen six. It's a narrow gate, yes. It's a difficult path, yes. It's a skinny path, yes, but it's the path that we need to cling to. And here's really the paradox of the Christian life. On the one hand, the way of wisdom is a smooth way. On the other hand, it is a narrow and constricted and hard way as well. So how do you put those two things together? It's, I think it's, it's hard because the temptations are easy to, to pull us off that way. But Solomon addresses in these temptations in verses 14 through 17. He just says, stay on this path, stay on the way of wisdom, because these temptations are going to come to rip you off the path. Here's my my second point. Avoid the way of evil. We've seen here to take the way of wisdom and avoid the way of evil. It's really as simple as can be. That's my message, right? There's two paths of life, oftentimes choices. Which way you're going to go? If it's inconsequential, like the poem says, just choose and go on. But if it is, if there's a a moral choice, if there's a righteous choice, take the way of wisdom and avoid the way of evil. And as you're walking down the way of wisdom and and voices are talking to you, don't go after them. He says this. This is verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. I mean, the warning in this passage could not be more clear. These two voices, six staccato commands. I mean, it almost sounds like uh, Dr. Seuss, if you will. It's not quite rhymed, but do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Not quite Dr. Seuss, but you can just see how, how rapid it is. I thought maybe it's a little bit like this. If you play Monopoly, you pick up that card from Community Chess, it says... Go to jail. Let's see if you can also say it with me. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It's kind of like that's, that's the idea here. The, the commands of the Proverbs are equally as urgent. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on. Turn away from it and pass on. And you can even see my point right there. Avoid the way of evil. It says avoid it in verse 19. Verse 15, rather, in verse 14, it speaks about the way of evil. So the idea is don't even start. Don't even begin to walk in that way. You know, one of the strongest and most simplest things I've ever taught my children is this. Don't start. Don't start. Because you'll never become an alcoholic if you never take your first drink. And you'll never become addicted to drugs if you never try them in the first place. And you'll never become addicted to pornography if you turn away at first glance. And you'll never become addicted to gambling if you never place your first bet. But how many are there who are addicted to their drugs and alcohol and pornography and gambling who started small? Oh, just just one sip. Just one hit. 
Just one look, just one bet, and you know what? What comes after the first? Help me. The second, all right, good. And what comes after the second? The third, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so a good way is just avoid it. Don't take the first step. Because one thing leads to another, and, and gambling addiction leads to poverty as your money fritters away. Casinos always win. You've seen the, the luxury of Las Vegas. How do you think it got all the money for all the big hotels and all the fancy stuff? Gamblers have lost it, given it all away. You always lose. Porn addiction leads to divorce. Virtual adultery destroys every marriage. Drug addiction leads to crime. As you need the means to support your habit. And crime leads to jail. And you go to jail, go directly to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. One commentator said this. He says, don't, don't take the first step. For you may not be master of your own destiny thereafter. Oftentimes, once you're hooked, you're in. And you can't get out. It's like, it's like a web, a spider's web. That, that one, you know, you a fly or a bee or something gets in a spider's web. It just can't get out because it got stuck. You know, there are, are some that may escape, but not many. So just stay away. Sounds easy. Is it hard? It's easy. It's hard. Because there are people out there trying to bring you in along the, along the bad path. And Solomon mentions them in verses 16 and 17. He says this. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Solomon says that there are people who dream about evil all day long. And it's not only just them doing evil, but oftentimes it's them including you on the evil that they are, are doing and thereby causing harm. And if they haven't done that, they, they just can't sleep. As Proverbs 10.23 says in the New American Standard, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. It's like fun to a fool. And uh, for them, wickedness is fun and pleasure. It's the, the heart beating, right? The, the, the clammy hands that get kind of nervous. It's fun, it's pleasure, what, what, what's going on there. And sometimes if they haven't had any pleasure, right, they haven't done any evil, they can't sleep at night because they think of it so, so much. And that's exactly what Solomon says in verse 19. They can't sleep unless they've done wrong. So they're just pushing that way. And, and Solomon's already given us an extended illustration of such people back in Chapter 1, you can turn back there and look at verse 11. Verse 10, the, the counsel comes, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, and here, here they are, here are these people who can't sleep unless they've done wicked. They try to persuade you, right? They're pulling you. Come, come try this, they say. If they say, come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse, right? At the expense of others. We're going to take finances from people. We're going to rob them. We're going to beat them. We're going to get this. And then we're all going to be wealthy. What a wonderful thing. Come join us. 
And then Solomon says in verse 15, right? Don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot's foot from their paths because their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Well, that's true of gangs, probably the, one of the most core, simple applications of that, who use peer pressure to persuade others to join them in their wickedness. And evil is so much a part of the way that they eat it and drink it. Right? Look at verse 17. It says, they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. I mean, it's such a good picture of evil and evil people who are, who are so engrossed in their sin or evil that it becomes part of them. As common as eating and drinking. An appropriate deal here, if, if chapter 1 was the, uh, the gang, this might be the drug dealer who um, will stop at nothing and get his clients hooked, stalking the young, young and immature at public places, ball games or schools or somehow just hanging out with them, gaining their trust. First drugs are free always. And then once the client is hooked, the price goes up. And for the sake of gain, they destroy lives. And nothing seems to stop them in the pursuit. They think about it all day long. They can't rest until they've done evil. And you know what? As I said before, we were in chapter one. Your danger is probably not gangs, kids, all right? At least Rock Valley Bible Church kids, you're not, your danger is probably not that. Um, and so likewise, your problem is probably not drug dealers, okay? But I think you can apply this differently. It can be applicable to coworkers, Um who can't sleep unless they persuade their friends to join them in their wickedness. Come, join our party this evening. We'll have girls and alcohol. Come, it'll be fun. And, you know, they just continue to badger, continue to invite, make you feel rude if you don't come. That can happen. Or might it be applicable to TV personalities who push their philosophies upon all who are willing to watch? And they push their, the bubble of wickedness because they know that it attracts more viewers. You just get there and get involved in kind of this back and forth. But they, they relentlessly want their viewer. They want you in. They want you to be persuaded of their ways. It, it might apply to college professors whose students are out from the home for the very first time. And they're apart and, and out from the influence of their parents. And they're susceptible now. And we can mold their minds. We can capture their minds into our humanistic philosophy. And they seek to persuade the students against their faith. I went to a secular college where that was clearly the case. I, I was told by people that we tried to pull you away from your faith in Jesus, Steve. And we tried hard. That comes from their mouth. That, that's like their, their aim and their goal to pull you away could be applicable to your unsaved friends. Maybe friends who like to talk with you about religion. Maybe not really an interest in believing what you believe, but wanting to start you talking so they can pull you down the way of their own philosophy or their own religion or their own meditation or their own this. And just trying to show you that to pull you away that is equally as evil as well. And, and maybe even with religiosity. Oh, come, join in this works righteousness that you need to do. That was Christian's problem in Pilgrim's Progress when he wet, met with Mr. Worldly Wiseman who persuaded him from the path. And if you remember, Worldly Wiseman didn't persuade Christian to do evil, quote-unquote, technically. Rather, he persuaded him to forsake the way of grace and to walk the way of the law. 
seeking to obtain righteousness through obedience and through law-keeping rather than through faith, which is the only way you're ever going to be made right with God. And I think just as devastating to to Christian as practicing overt evil was to try to pursue his righteousness by his own flesh and merits. Romans 3.20 says, by the deeds of the flesh, no by the deeds of the law, no flesh should be justified in God's sight. It's, it's not there. Even these two paths, you're not justified in God's sight by, by walking this right path. Lest you think my message today in these two, two uh, different paths is a, is a, a works-related re- uh, religion here. It's not go this way and everything's okay, go this way. No, it's, it's by grace and the fear of the Lord then compels you to walk in the right way to know the blessing of God. But here, here's how Christian described his encounter with worldly wise men, he, he again just talked to Goodwill. He says, I turned aside to go into the way of death, being persuaded thereunto by carnal arguments of one Mr. Worldly Wiseman. He considered trying to work righteousness the way of death. And it was. The law was crushing upon him. And that's where evil ends. It, it ends in the way of death. And we'll see that in verse 19. But before we get to verse 19, we've, we've got to go here now to verse 18. The last two verses this morning sort of sum up, um, sum up what was taken here in, um, in the first two points. Point, point three really summarizes what the way of wisdom looks like. It looks brighter and brighter all the time. Verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter till the full day. He pictures here a sunrise. Uh, I trust you've seen a sunrise. You ever been up before dawn? You have? Great. David, have you ever been up before dawn? (laughs) He says no. I don't doubt him. But if you're up before dawn, it's dark. And um, then as the sun is well below the horizon but begins to exert its influence... It starts getting brighter. You, you, need to, you don't need your flashlight anymore, your headlamp or whatever you're out there with as you watch the, the sunrise come up. It gets a little brighter. As, as it begins to come up, it gets brighter yet until finally the, the sun breaks through. And you can see the sun. You can see the curvature of the sun. And you can look right at it because there's so much atmosphere to look through that it, it doesn't really hurt your eyes. But soon as the sun comes up and you can see the whole sun, pretty soon it starts getting bright on your eyes. You, cannot, you can't look at it anymore. And then as it shines to the brightness of the full day, it just up and up and up and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter it becomes. That's the life of the righteous. It, it, is, it, is it things start dark and it gets bigger and brighter and brighter and shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until it's the sun of the full, the full day. And I just say this word is especially appropriate for young people. Whose, whose sun is just dawning on their lives. And, and, and they, can, they can make the choice of walking in the way of wisdom and knowing and experiencing this brightness of their life. Or as we'll see a little bit in verse 19, they can go the opposite direction. Because this is the time you're going to chart your course, kids, about what sort of life you're going to be. Are you going to live a life of sunshine? Or live a life of, of darkness? I had a seminary professor, Dr. Roskop, who uh, was a godly man, and he taught a, a prayer class. And one of the books we read was the, the Hour That Changes the World, just challenges 
people that pray for an hour every day. I need to get back to that. But he endorsed this book to me, and um, here's what he said, to Steve Brandon, a special man, a man of God in the making, with my very best wishes for your increasing usefulness to God, Proverbs 4.18, J.E. Rothkup. And when he looked at the seminary students, I know that he looked at them with Proverbs 4.18 lenses because that's just kind of who he was. He, he looked at seminary students as, as budding, budding rays of sunshine that can shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And parents, that's how you need to look to your kids. And, and know that this ought to be true of older godly people as well. It's high noon in fact, I'm past high noon now. It's pretty soon going to be sunset as I'm over 50. But we should shine. We should shine forth. As Jesus said, let your light shine before men. But on the flip side of that, we get the opposite in uh, verse 4. And everything I said about shining, I now say about darker and darker. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. And they do not know over what they stumble. That corresponds to the second one, avoiding the way of evil. This is those who walk the way of evil, their lives get darker and darker and darker and darker, and so much so that they don't even know over what they, they stumble. Verse 18 brought up a picture of a, of a sunrise, and verse 19 brings up the picture of a cave. Have you experienced the, the darkness of a cave before? where there absolutely no light comes in. You can put your hand in front of your face like this and you cannot detect any sort of movement. You ever been in a situation like that? I'm not sure I've ever seen that in a cave because I haven't been in too many caves in my life. But I know sometimes in industrial buildings I'm down deep and the lights are turned off and all of a sudden it is pitch, pitch, dark. But walking in a cave, right, you, you, you can imagine yourself right, walking down and you see the light and it gets dimmer and 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 dimmer until you cannot see a thing. And kids, that's different than being in your basement. In your basement, there's always light leaking in some place. You can try to seal it off as much as you can and wonderful. Maybe you want to try that. Go down in your basement sometime. Just seal it up as much as you can. It still might even not, not quite work. But a cave, this is so, so dark. And can you imagine when you cannot even see try walking around in such a situation? I mean, this whole text talks about life is a walk. Life is a path. Life is what we're walking over. So all of a sudden, if it's darkness, what's going to happen if you try to walk in the cave? Well, you're going to hit your head on the stalactites, right? You're going to trip over the stalagmites. You're going to skin your knee. You're going to bruise your head. You're going to trip and fall. It would be terrible, Right? Such is the lives of many. They stumble and fall, and they don't even know what they stumbled and fall, fell over because they couldn't see what they stumbled and fell upon. And I just say such utter deep darkness of such a life is utterly miserable. So, so really, right, the, the, you got two paths before you, and w- which path, kids, do you want to take? Which path adults do you want to take? You want to take the right path? You want to take the, the wrong path? We just set this choice before you right here. You've got a wrong way and a right way. 
And you know what? T- oftentimes, it's, it's pretty clear like that. Like when you encounter these situations, there is a wrong way and there is a right way. And sometimes it's a matter of conscience versus convenience. Right? Sometimes it's a matter of, well, doing it the easy way is oftentimes the wrong way. Doing it the right way is oftentimes the hard way, but it's the blessed way. And I really just put this choice before you. I love this picture because the right way is, is leading off into the sun, is leading off into brightness, is getting brighter. Leaves, life is the picture there. And then if you go off into the wrong way, you're, you're going up into darkness. And you know, it's kind of looking like winter there. And winter is coming. Right? It's a good illustration of what's taking place when you walk. Just leaves gone, no life cold, dark, little sunshine. And really, that's, that's about the choice that Solomon encourages us to make here. And it's really the, the, the choice that we all have, right? To fear the Lord and to walk in His ways or to trust ourselves and walk in the wrong way. And just, just that way is going to lead to your trouble rather than leading to the, the path of, of blessing. So what path are you going to take? Let's pray. Father, I pray in Your grace you would strengthen us at Rock Valley Bible Church to be those who take the path of life. God, to walk in the ways of blessing. God, that might have years of our life be many. God, that would know a, a step that isn't hampered and a, and a run that isn't stumbled over upon. That we would hold on to that and not let go and know the life that that is. Lord, I pray also we would learn from those who are stumbling, who have chosen their own way, who have taken that first step and the second step and the third step and the fifth and the tenth and the twentieth and are walking in in the ways of darkness without repentance. Father, I pray that we might learn that to see how awful that way is. I even pray for those who are in the midst of the darkness. They're, They're deep down that path. God, I I just would pray you'd grant repentance in their life and their soul. God, to realize that they have messed up and gone the wrong way. Thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. There's a a thief on the cross who repented and was going to be in paradise that day. God, that there's always an opportunity to turn. And would pray, God, that you would grant repentance, that people would would believe and turn that the, the right way, the way of wisdom is the better way. God, and we do thank you for Jesus who does atone for all of our wrong choices, all the times that we have started down the wrong path, that we've taken too many steps that way. Thank you for Christ who by his blood has, through faith and by his grace, has forgiven us of those things. And so, God, I I pray you'd stir us again this morning afresh to seek to walk that straight and narrow road, to seek to know the the way of truth and righteousness, that we might experience the blessing of that, that we might give all glory to you, and that we might enjoy the good things that you've given to us in this life to enjoy. So Father, help us. We continue to go through Proverbs and the same message next week and the week after that and the week after that, that we might be wise boys and girls and wise men and women seeking always to walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.